The reading from the scripture today is Proverbs 3, from 7 to 10 and 13, 14. Verse 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be healed to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruit of all thine increase. So shall thy bonds be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Verse 13. Happy is the man that find wisdom, and the man that get understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver, and the gain thereof than fine gold. Thank you, Susan. Thank you, James. Thank you, Mom. And thank you, Mary. Milt, thank you. Amy, also thank you. Becky, thank you. Wow, what a story. Let me just spread a few things out here. And also, thank you for uh, all those who have been praying for me. I've asked a few people to do that. So that really makes you feel good. And even though I can't uh, guarantee that I will not perspire today... Just know that it's uh, because I sweat easily, not because I'm nervous. I've given this one over to God. I got youth praying for me. I got all kinds of folks praying for me. God has said he'll be with me. I'm not worried about that. If you want to take off your coat, feel free. I might take off my coat sometime during this uh, address. All right. Okay. One other thing I want to say before I get too far into this is... Um, I don't need to ask you guys to move forward, because as those of you have seen me do this before, you know that uh, even in Sabbath school, I try to move up as close as I can to you so that I'm uh, among you, with you. Some people are okay with that. Some people are a little nervous about that. So if you got a back seat because you wanted to be as far away from the speaker as possible, sorry. Um, that, I'm not trying to make you nervous, but it's uh, something that I do. Okay, speaking... Oh, the other thing I wanted to mention is... Ginger always gives me a hard time because when I'm on the phone at home, I do the exact same thing. I'll be talking to somebody. Thank goodness for cordless phones because now I can let my phone walker spirit out. I do this and I'll notice that if I like walk around our kitchen island and she comes into the kitchen, she just looks at me and she just goes, is it so hard for you to talk in one place? I don't know. I walk around. So that's what I do. Okay. Speaking of things that might make people nervous... Have you ever, who here has ever had this dream or one very similar to it? You know what? Before we do that, hold on. What am I thinking? Let's pray. Dear God, may all of our steps be worshipped. May our thoughts this morning be praised. And may these words bring honor to your name. Amen. Whew! Don't want to start without that. Now, back to things that might make us nervous. Have you had a dream like this? You start out, you just wake up, and you're like in a classroom. Now, this may not be as weird for those of you guys that are in class right now, not in the summer, but if you're you're already in school, it's summer now, so imagine that you're back in the classroom. So that's already a little weird. But imagine if you haven't been in school for like years, and you have this dream that you're in school, and what else is another detail about this dream? Okay, there's one. What else? Didn't do your homework. You're taking a test in what? What was that one? Oh, somebody, a brave, honest person said no clothes. 
come on now. My mom and myself can't be the only person who's had that underwear at school dream. Come on, let's be honest. Yes, I was going to bring that up if no one else did, but thankfully somebody already brought that up. But that, that dream, whatever those factors are in your dream, can't you remember waking up like stressed out? Why? What, what's happening? Why am I back at school? I didn't know there was a test today. I didn't even know I was in, back in elementary school today. And I can't believe they put a test on the very day I decided to wear underwear to school. <laughs> you wake up and you're alarmed, you're nervous. Um, I'm not Joseph, and I'm not Daniel, and I'm not even Sigmund, but I think I can interpret that dream. I'm going to guess that that is somewhere in our subconscious. That's us being nervous about taking tests. Or, if we're really being honest, it's about being nervous and uncomfortable about not being prepared for a test. I want to tell you this morning, I believe absolutely with all my heart God loves tests. God likes to give them, and God likes to take them. Now, somebody may be a little concerned that I'm saying God doesn't mind being put to the test because somewhere rattling around in your mind is this passage that says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Anybody thinking that when I'm telling you God likes being tested? Where have you heard that before? Oh, that's right, Jesus said it. Oh, well, if Jesus said it, boy, maybe we ought to take it kind of seriously. Jesus said it in a conversation he's having with Satan. Now, give me just a little bit. We don't, I don't want to dwell on this too long because the point, I think, is pretty simple. And that is there's a big difference between um, testing God's patience and testing God's promises. Okay? That's the big point. I don't think it's hard to get. But I do want to connect the dots so you don't think I'm taking stuff out of context. Jesus being tested. If you want to go look it up, look it up in Luke. It's also in Matthew, I believe. But look it up in Luke. One of the tests that Satan throws at him is, hey, go throw yourself off, the, off a building. And Jesus says, and Satan does an interesting thing. He quotes scripture. Now he takes it completely out of context. That's a really, that's a really egregious stretch of that promise of God's. And Jesus says, don't test the Lord your God. Well, now what is Jesus quoting? Anybody know? It's a little chain of text. Deuteronomy 6.16. And that says, you can keep me on track if I get off course, don't test me like you did at Masa, Masa, M-A-S-A-H. What's that talking about? Now we're going to leave Deuteronomy 6.16. We're going to go to Exodus 17.7, I think. That's when the children of Israel are grumbling so much, why have you let us out to die if you pretty much turn a few pages in Exodus, you're going to hear them saying something like this. You let us out here, what, to die, to starve? Now we're thirsty, and God gets fed up. And he tells Moses, take the staff, hit a stone, water comes out of the rock. They call that place Ma Masa. Interesting enough, means testing. Do you, think God's test Do you think they are testing God's patience there or his promise? God told them, you're my covenant people. I will take care of you. And if you observe my commandments and have faith in me, you will be a beacon for other people. That's not his promise that they're testing. So Jesus, in quoting that back to Lucifer, I believe it's up for you guys to determine. I believe it's a patience message. Interesting that in Luke's version of that testing, that's the last thing that Satan does. So I believe Jesus is not saying, hey, don't... Don't test my promises. Don't test God's promises. But, wow, you completely twisted that promise in 
Psalms 91. That's the last little chain. If you make the most high your dwelling, angels will protect you. Paraphrasing. Satan completely twists that to say, throw yourself off and God will protect you. And I believe he's pushing Jesus' patience because he doesn't appreciate him trying to do that when it's so completely twisted. So, a little bit of background for the idea that God doesn't mind being tested. I think he enjoys, like I mentioned, giving them, and he likes being tested when he can prove himself and his promises to be trustworthy. All right, this morning we're going to look at a few stories. Some of them you've heard, some of them you probably haven't heard, and we're going to see what happens when people test God and when God tests people. You don't mind if we read a little or a lot from the Bible this morning, do you? Go to Judges 6. It's a lot of verses, so you've got to hang with me. But it's a great story. It's a great story. Judges 6. I want you to have a, We're going to get a little bit of back, background for this and start before the parts that may be uh, familiar, because I think there's stuff in here for us to keep in mind. Judges 6, starting at 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites pre- uh, prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It is impossible to count the men. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the land the Israelites, rather, that they cried out to the Lord for help. They do that an awful lot, too. They turn away, they cry out for help. Maybe that sounds like you and me. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord, here we go. Now that's a little bit of background. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, or Oprah, uh, Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite. Now, here's a little trick we use in youth class. If you don't know how to pronounce something in the Bible, just say it quickly and with some confidence. If you struggle over that, people might go, I don't know that he really knows how to pronounce that. So, there you go. How'd I do? Where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, what do you think a wine press is built for? That's not a trick question. Wine. Why do you think he's threshing wheat in the wine press? Because if he is any more visible, the Midianites and the Amalekites are going to take his stuff. He's threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, if you know how the story ends, you might say, Okay, but how much of a mighty warrior do you think the guy is who's threshing his wheat in the wine press? But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, 
why has all this happened to us? That's a fair question, although God has already explained. It's a fair question. I think a very human question, one you might ask yourself as you go through trials. What, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, listen to this, go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I bet Gideon was not expecting that response. Go in the strength that you have. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Here come the excuses. Now, this is an aside. We'll come back and cover some of these very important points later. But notice what's happening here. He's saying, I'm not your guy. I'm not the right one. I'm the least of the clans. I'm the least of the warrior. He's at least owning up that he's a warrior. But he's saying, uh, I can't, uh, no, I can't, why me? I can't do it. That might sound like us at different times when we are called or invited to do something. But I would, I would give you this, I would offer up this idea. Probably said it before. When you are, when you think that you can't do something that you think God wants you to do, I think that's in the best place we can be for God to help us and for God to do something important through us. Because you're aware of maybe your own shortcomings and how much you need to lean on God. This is exactly, I think, where God wanted Gideon to be. How can I do this? I'm not the right guy. I'm sending you. Do it in the strength you have. Who do you think he's going to lean on and turn to? All right. Aside over. The Lord answered. Here's a great response to all those concerns that Gideon has. What does the Lord tell him? I will be with you. I will be with you. First he says, go. Go in the strength you have. You have something in you that equips you to do what I've asked you to do. And I'm going to be with you. How much more of an encouragement do you need from your God? I will be with you and will strike down all the Midianites together. This is a war story, so it will go pretty quickly from G or PG to R if they were doing a movie of it. There's bloodshed and there's gore, and we won't get into that this morning, but... That's what's going to happen, which makes what Gideon is about to try to wrap his mind around significant. I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, if, I now, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Wow, that sounds like a test. Give me a sign. If it's really somebody from the Lord, or if it's the Lord himself. Um, that is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. I love this next line. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. What a metaphor for God's love. I will wait until you come back to me. I will wait. Gideon went in, prepared a young goat from an ephah of flour, that's a unit of flour, and made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. I don't want you guys to take that too lightly. Here is somebody who has most of his provisions taken away from him by the other forces. So whatever he can muster up 
He's now going to give a part of that precious provisions that are left and offer it as a sacrifice. I don't want us to look past that. Then the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on the rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. That came with great concern for him. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abizrites. All right. That same night, the Lord said to him, Listen to what happens next. Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Asher pole beside it, and build, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Hmm. What's happening here? There's Jehovah. Are you worshiping Jehovah or are you worshiping another god? So part of one of his first tasks is to clear out the stuff that's keeping people from Jehovah acknowledgement and Jehovah worship. So he does that. But when does he decide to do it? Have you read ahead? He does it at night, at midnight, so that maybe they won't know who did it. So he's, obe- he's obeying. He's trying to have faith. He's doing it under cover of darkness. They get up. They ask each other, who did this? They carefully investigated. They were told, Gideon, son of Joash. Paraphrasing the next couple of verses. So they're angry, and they say, bring that kid out. How come he did this? Bring that vandal out here. And dad steps in, paraphrasing, and says, are you trying to save this Baal god you worship? Let Baal save himself. If you guys try to defend him, there might be serious consequences for you. Let Baal, if he's that powerful, deal with him. And that's how Gideon gets a name, uh, Jerub Baal, saying let Baal contend with him. Now, so, after that transition, all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abyssalites to follow him. I've probably pronounced that three different ways so far. All right. And to follow him, he sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, Zebulon, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Now, love this. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you, has, as you have promised, hmm, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and the ground around it is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that's exactly what happened. Now he's actually gotten two, he's asked God for two things and God's given him two signs. Is that enough? It's like he rethought his test and he wishes he could have a do-over. Have you ever taken a test and wished, man, I wish I could have taken that one over? Now he wishes he could give the other test, so he does. He flips it. He says, don't be angry with me in verse 39. Let me make just one more request. Allow me to one more test with the fleece. 
This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Maybe he thought the second test was just a little bit harder and that's the one he should have asked first. That's up to three tests so far with Gideon. Early in the morning, moving on to seven, stay with me, Jerubbaal, that is Gideon, in case we hadn't remembered, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley, near the hill of Morah. The Lord said, Gideon, you know what? You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into your hands. What? This is a warrior. He knows tactics of war. He knows they're probably outnumbered as it is from all the people that we heard moving into the valley earlier. And he says, i got to believe he said something like this. Excuse me? What? You have too many people for me to deliver into your hands. There's a reason behind God's statement. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, any who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. Now, I don't want to say what the, uh, look at how many turn away. Maybe it's a sign of the times and the conflict they've been going through, but a lot of warriors turned away that day. How many? 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. That's got to be troubling for Gideon. I'm sure his plan didn't include that. There's another step that happens, though, and you probably remember it. Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. If I say this one shall not go, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that, I, that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to the tents but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. All right, just a little time out here. I got to take the coat off. All right. Whew. Okay. Don't you think Gideon was feeling a little better about this assignment when he had 20, what, 32,000 men? Is that math majors? How many did he start with? Now he's down from whatever that big number is to 300. God understands this. I love this. Moving on, he says, Now the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. There's another promise. What happens next? If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Now, does Gideon say, that's all right, God. You've already passed three of my tests. I'm good. If you say we're going to do it, it's unusual. I'm good. Is that what Gideon says? Look what happens next. Uh, okay, I'll go down there. <laughs> He's still struggling. How much like you does that sound like? How much like me does that sound like? So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern people had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Sounds like a lot more than 300. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream. Here comes dreams again. 
I had a dream, he was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that, hold on, struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Woo! When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianites into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. I've got to stop for just a moment. Have any of you seen this show on Spike TV called The Deadliest Warrior? I've only seen one. It's an interesting premise. They talk about who would win. What, and I, the one I saw was uh, having knights. They take uh, historical fighters and imagine what it would be like if they fought against each other. So the one I saw had knights fighting pirates. <laughs> and they imagine what their technology has and what armaments they have and how their weaponry would do against the other. I can't remember. But they have all these experts from the period, like what the weapons are, like they on to evaluate who would win. I think some of the other ones I saw were Vikings versus samurais, and uh, there's crazy combos. So the reason I bring that up is how in Deadliest Warrior, if they had an episode, who do you think would win? Thousands and thousands and thousands of Midianites with swords, 300 Israelites with trumpets and jars. Watch me, he told them. Follow me at my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the 300 men with him reached the edge of the camp, and beginning with the middle watch, just after they had changed the guards, they blew their trumpets, broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets, smashed the jars. What a sight that must have been. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. They shouted, A sword for the Lord, sword for Gideon. What happens after that? The people are so freaked out, they start turning on each other and start going at each other. And then those folks get chased by Gideon and his friends. They took a trumpet, they broke a jar, and God was taking over. Take on the Midianites with 300 dudes with jars? That's crazy. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Your own understanding says that is ridiculous. It's suicide. Lean not upon your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Gideon was tested, and God was tested. God's promise was proven. Gideon's faith and the faith of the other warriors with him were strengthened. But you might, be, you might be saying this morning, all right, stuff like that. Big promise, stuff like that only happens in the Bible. All right, how about this one? In 2007, late in 2007, I was looking at um, how we were doing in the bulletin, given our like budget, and how we, much we had given versus how much more our budget was. And it got me bummed out a little bit. I was depressed because it was lagging behind. We're lagging behind right now. So I sat there thinking, I wish we were like more on top of this. 
Um, and it was almost as if God gave me this impression. I can't tell you that I heard his voice, but it's almost like this. Like, the next idea I had was, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And I said, hmm, well, thought about it. I have a full-time job, but sometimes I do freelance projects. Sometimes it's a lot, sometimes not at all. That, I said right there, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to give, instead of just 10% tithe, maybe a little bit more, I'm going to give 100% of my next freelance paycheck. I didn't have a freelance job at the time. I had a regular job, and I hadn't had a freelance job in a couple of months. So maybe it was easy for me to make that promise. I said, whatever the next freelance check is, I'm going to turn it over to this church. I'll put some tithe, I'll put some into the gift campaign, put some for the budget. That's my idea. Or that's God's idea. I don't know, that's what I'm going to try to do, and I'm going to test and see what happens if I do that. Here's some things you need to know. The kind of jobs that I do for one of the clients that I have are in a couple of pretty set increments. Sometimes I'll do something and it might be a $500 job. Something I, sometimes I might do something a little bit more and it might be 750 And sometimes I do something and it might be 1000 Okay. It's good. A little bit of background for you. I also did something that any wise man should do. I ran it by my wife. <laughs> because she runs our... She's our chief financial officer in the house. And she, when I told her this plan, she says, really? The whole thing? Okay. Okay. Thought about it for about that long and said, okay. So, what do you think happened? I got a freelance job from this client that I hadn't heard from in like four months. It was a big job. Just take a wild guess how, how much you think that the next job was. Oh, now I like that. That's a good. That would have made a better story. This was 1500 1500 And here I have this question. It's like, oh, wait a second now. Hold on. I'm reached like 500 750000 And in my mind, I have these visions of Ananias and Sapphira being carried out by the people saying, what? You promised God you were going to give your next freelance paycheck. And I'm thinking, boy, can I really do less? Than oh, man. And I said, that's the promise I made. That's the deal I made. And if I'm ever going to have anything to t- talk to you guys about, I've got to give the whole thing up. I thought about it, though. I thought about it. I know Gideon thought about it. I said, I've got to do this. Now, what do you think happened after that? Within one month, keep in mind, I hadn't had any freelance jobs for about four, three or four months. Within a month of that, I had a second job from that same client for $1,500. How does that work? Beyond that... For the two years, maybe three years leading up to that, I had a certain amount of freelance money. This job was the first freelance job that I had in 2008. Talk about bringing the first fruits. I didn't think about it that way at the time. First fruits to God. Do you know that over the course of that year, my freelance income doubled, and the next year it went back down to sort of a baseline position? I can't explain that any other way. God was making it obvious to me, do this, test me, and watch what I can do when you step out of your comfort zone and give me a chance to prove what I can do. Proverbs 3.9, can you turn there with me? Just to remind ourselves what that promise is, how it ties in. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the, the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim 
over with new wine. I walked, I lived it. God gave me more than I had had before. And it's a good thing too because we needed it. We had other needs coming up. Giving him the first fruits, not the stuff that's left over if you can get around it. First fruits. And I'd love for everybody here to have an experience like that. Maybe some of you already have. What my encouragement is today is for you to consider what it is that you can do. Give away 1500 bucks, Crazy. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. God tested me. I tested God. He kept his promise. My faith and Ginger's faith grew. I want to get through this next story pretty quickly. You might be saying that was 07, 08. Things were different then. Tougher economic climate now. You can't really, you don't think that God expects us to like give sacrificially now. You don't have to turn there, but in 1 Kings 7, 17, I will paraphrase. Elijah, it hasn't rained for three years. Elijah gets told, first he gets fed by ravens. Talk about strengthening your faith. Then he gets, uh, then he gets told, go see this widow. Not an Israelite. She'll feed you. Okay. He follows those instructions. And she's, because I've told her to feed you. Now, talk about hard economic times. The description of her is she's gathering sticks so that she can make one last meal for her and her son before they die. That's a pretty tough economic climate, wouldn't you say? And Elijah, when he runs into her, says, okay, I understand that, but can you, can you make me some bread? Well, what do you think her choice is? Really? With the last thing, I'm going to make you bread? She has a choice. I'm either going to do it or not. What do you think she does? She makes him bread, and he says, your oil and your bread will not run out until it stops, until the drought's over. Give a complete stranger um, the last, your last meal? Crazy. Crazy. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Turn to two, 2 Corinthians 8.12. 2 Corinthians 8.12. Good guideline, I think. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. I want to read you this story. I'm, I know I'm pressing my luck, so just hang with me a little bit. Just so you know that God is alive and well. This is a story from one of us. I had uh, somebody, somebody told me the story, and she was kind enough to write it down. This is from Joe Trumbull. In the summer of 2007, our dog Peaches had tumors that had grown at an alarming rate. I knew she needed surgery to have them removed, but I didn't have the money. I knew the surgery would be a certain amount. I was feeling so bad that I couldn't take care of her problem. Frank and she are on a fixed income, receiving their checks at first and third. So the first week of the month of July, I had made the check for our tithes and offerings. I agonized over putting the check in the offering plate because two of our tithes and offering checks would have paid for the surgery for peaches. As the plate came closer and was finally in front of me, I realized that I could not hold it. So I dropped it in, thinking, God, you've promised to take care of me. Two weeks later, in the middle of July, my daughter Jodine called me. Several years ago, she had taken into her home a young lady that had been in an abusive, drug-filled home. 
She kept her and took care of her while she finished high school and then moved out to finish her schooling. The young lady had become a veterinary's assistant and heard of Peach's problem and had called my daughter to tell her to bring Peaches to her boss and he would do the surgery for free. Every good deed is rewarded, she writes. Sometimes we are able to see it, sometimes not. This is one of the times we could see it. It had taken only two weeks for God to fulfill his promise. Peaches had her surgery and is alive and well and a happy member of their family. And then listen how she finishes it. I was so pleased that the VBS this year emphasized that God will do what he says he will do. Is that great? Give the surgery money, drop it in the offering plate. What do you think I'm going to say? Crazy. That's crazy. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. God tested Joe. Joe tested God. God kept his word. And Joe's faith was strengthened. Last faith story. I'll get through it pretty quickly. It has three chapters. You can talk to Richard Guy about some of these stats. In 1960, a group, a congregation of about 50 people, purchased the land that we're sitting in right now. They built, started to build the sanctuary, and the arm that went out, the classrooms that went out there. They had in mind another chapel, but money ran out and the construction stopped. It took eight years until this place was built. Jump ahead to 1998, a group of people decide they're willing to make a financial commitment to build the Christian Life Center that has the fireside room, the multipurpose room, the kitchen, two classrooms and storage. They committed a lot of money to it. That's chapter two. Chapter three, some of you, most of you weren't here in 1960. I wasn't. Many of you weren't around in 1998 but you have picked up that cause and you have contributed to our campaign to pay off our loan. And if you're not aware, at the rate we're giving right now, I talked to Rick, I think this is accurate, um, we are on course, if all goes well, to pay this off six and a half years before the term of the loan. 50 people buying this property in 1960, crazy. Lean not upon your own. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not upon your own understanding. I want to go to, I invite you this morning to step out and test God. In fact, God invites you this morning to step out and test God. Malachi 3. Jump, jump back to Malachi 3. I know you're waiting for 310. That's good. But I'm going to back it up to 7. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, hear that again, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Okay, got a couple more quickly to get through, just in case you need any encouragement like Gideon did. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, and then get it ready, we'll jump ahead to 9. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Jump ahead to 9, starting with verse 6. 
Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided to give, decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. I'm not compelling you this morning to do that. Um, But, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, um, I find it interesting. I like words. How many Scrabble players out here? There you go. All right. You cannot spell testimony without test. In fact, if you take the test out of testimony, what are you left with? I and money. Two things that can get in the way of our relationship with God and our ability to trust God with all our heart. But you don't have to give money to follow this principle. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your talent. Maybe it's your mentoring. Maybe it's something that you can do that helps this group. The point is, take something that matters to you and give it over to God. If it matters to you and you have to think about it for a second, hmm, 1500 bucks, man, I didn't say that in the, my first pledge. Give it over to God. Try it. Just try it. You've been given gifts. You have time. You have skills. You have energies. I'm encouraging you to think about what it is that you might give over to God. Guess what? Nominating committee is coming up. Think about what, God, what gifts God has given you. Consider stepping outside your comfort zone. Go out and get something for the children of the night organization. Bring it back here next Sabbath. We'll pick it up. It'll go down there. You will be helping other people. Um, Let's see. This one near and dear to my dad, maybe. Go out and take a coat that you have. Give it to somebody. Even harder step. Give a coat you really love, not the one that's buried in the back of your closet. Give a coat you really love to somebody who needs it more than you. I haven't done this. I know somebody that did, and it was a really moving example to me. I haven't gotten to that point yet, but man, think about that. Listen to God's promises. Proverbs 28, 27. We're almost done. Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them will receive many curses. Jump back to Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And as we already heard a little earlier, Luke 6, 38 Give and it will be given to you in a great big portion. Do you believe the promises that you've heard this morning? I know it's easy to say. We'll find out if you try to take a test, if you try to test God. See what happens. I encourage you to do that. Do you wish you had more faith than you do right now? I do. I told you the story. I can't tell you how that brought my faith alive. I still struggle and I wish I had more faith. I have an idea. Here's your stimulus plan for faith. Go out and test God. Test him and see if his promises are trustworthy. You'll test God. God will test you. And if we all try it together, we will grow in faith together. I forgot to mention in my summary of that, 
that for a recent, for the 1998 program that we started, an acronym was developed called Growing in Faith Together, GIFT. And it was fitting because there was an energy that the group felt as they were giving sacrificially to something. And it was something that was shared. And those of you that are, have been through that know what I'm talking about. But it, I don't want it to only be linked with that capital campaign. The idea of growing in faith together applies to all of us as we take something that matters to us, take something that we can give over to God, and step out of our comfort zone. If we do that, we will grow in faith together. What do you think your test is for God? Listen to this very carefully. That's for you and God to work out. Okay? I, will not, I cannot tell you what your test was. An idea came to me and I tried it. That's not your test. Listen to what God might impress upon you. Think about what it is that he may want you to try. Also, keep in mind the example of Mark 7 and 11. I think there's a little bit of good wisdom here. Because for all the enthusiasm that we might feel when we turn over something to God, I think it's important to balance it. There were those that were giving money instead of to their parents. There were people who were saying, oh, if I give this to God, I don't have to support my parents, which is a commandment, honor your father and mother. And Jesus spoke against that saying, what are you doing? You're replacing the my laws for the tradition of men. To us, I believe he's saying, a gift to me should not be given. I don't think he's interested in our gifts if it means we're neglecting other responsibilities that are important. Just want to throw that out there. But he might, that doesn't mean he still doesn't have an idea for you to try. I believe that's what he did with me. As you consider the invitation to sacrifice something to God, remember a few key points from the story of Gideon. First, that's why I read so much of it. He reminds us of what he's done in the past. We don't have to guess. God challenges us. Go in the strength you have. God encourages us. I will be with you. God is patient. I will wait for you to return to me. God tells Gideon to get rid of what stands between him and his people. The Holy Spirit empowers Gideon. God wants us to be clear about who delivers and saves us. I'm clear about what happened in 08 of my freelance income. I'm very clear about that. I think Gideon in the army was pretty clear about what had just happened. God patiently works with us when our faith needs strengthening. Didn't you hear that time and time again in that Gideon story? And it's not just an individual thing. That group of 300 men had to also step out as well in faith. Gideon's 300 men had a story they would tell for the rest of their lives, one that's still being told today. You know what the membership of this church is? I think it's just under 300. What kind of stories could we tell if we took God at his word and we grew in faith together? How's this for a dream? You're in church, you're in your underwear, and nobody even notices because they're too busy hearing one person after another testify, giving their testimonies, about what God has done for them when they stepped out of their comfort zone and gave something over to God. All the things that God accomplished when they stood on his promise and, and tested those words. God is faithful. I encourage you to give him the opportunity to prove it in your life. God, help us to pursue wisdom. Help us to gain understanding. For we do believe that it is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. 
Please bless this group and help us on our journey to grow in faith together as we test your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.